Okay, the plan for today, because we were doing this sort of last minute, it was going to be a Tales from the Couch, but we were doing a lot of football midweek, and there was basketball's Christmas, man. So Tales from the Couch and what I think about this latest Trey Young story, uh, which you can probably guess. And then we'll do a long life advice that we've already taped it. There's some lows and then some highs. So enjoy. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Before we get to Tales from the Couch, I want to talk about Trey Young, okay? Uh, There was a quote this week. Chris Haynes had it, so I haven't been on since the quote came out. said, quote, rival execs are of the belief that Atlanta Hawks star point guard Trey Young could be the next player on a rookie max extension to request a trade, Okay. Uh, let's get a couple things out of the way. I've talked about Trey Young a lot. It's very clear I'm not a huge fan of watching him play, even though I think he's immensely talented. He is. We'll get to all that stuff. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll revisit the timeline quickly so everybody can get up to speed. I'll do that a little bit later on because I'm going to go here for a bit. All right. Um, when I saw that quote, I was like, if I were Atlanta, I'd actually trade him. I'd trade him this year. I'd just get it over with because I think that's where this is ultimately going to go. Now, some people could hear this and go, wait a minute, if it's rival execs, aren't they doing that just to mess with Atlanta? Like, wouldn't that be giving the rival execs their wish? Yeah, maybe. And if it truly is the rival execs, then you can dismiss a lot of what I'm going to say. But I've been around a long time, all right? And this doesn't really feel that way. It feels a bit like it's a message that somebody wanted to get out as a warning to the Atlanta Hawks. And if that's what it is, that's why I would say trade now, I know there's so many of you that love the Hawks, love Trey Young. He's your guy. I get it. He's the face of the franchise. Uh, you're sick of hearing me talk negatively about him. That's fine, too. I get it. If you were my favorite player, I wouldn't want to listen to me either. But I can tell you this. As much as this could come back and, like, I'll get it wrong and everything will work out in Atlanta years from now, all right, fine. But that's not how I feel. That's not how I feel like this is going. And then there's always the automatic defense of, oh, you're just doing this for your attention. You're doing it for clicks. I don't need him. The podcast does really well. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I'm just stating the facts. Like, there wasn't a day where I go, man, things are slowing down. I better talk about the Atlanta Hawks again. It doesn't work that way. So, to further continue on this quote, I also have been around long enough to know that I just don't know. <laughs> like, the Hawks aren't much of a threat. So, even if you think you've convinced yourself that it's other teams just trying to mess with Atlanta, which in my gut tells me that's not what this is. I've talked to enough people over the years that it doesn't really happen that much where a guy from a competing team's like, hey, here's a little nut. And he completely makes it up thinking that team's going to be a mess now for the next couple months. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is that. My instincts tell me that it isn't. My instincts tell me that this is kind of a warning from the Trey Young side of things where it's like if this team doesn't get better, 
then I'm going to look to move on because that's the way this league works. And it's so funny because just the other day, Brian Windhorst and I talked for an hour on this podcast of being like, man, who's the next guy? Because he's coming. It just seems like it's a little bit more quiet, right? And there's always the next guy. When you think there isn't going to be the next guy, there's always the next guy. So maybe it could be Trey. And again, maybe, maybe the quote is from the rival exec who's just wanted to messing with the Hawks. I just don't feel like that's the way things work, okay? So... If this is a warning to the organization, let's go over my timeline. When Trey first came along, he gets picked high. The Doncic trade looks like, what are you guys doing? Summer League's a disaster. So I actually had, I felt bad for him. Like in Summer League, it looked like he couldn't play basketball. And that was not the guy you saw at Oklahoma. At Oklahoma, you saw a guy who was an incredible passer, didn't have a lot of talent around him, took a lot of bad shots because I think he just felt like I have to do this on my own. And so his success as a rookie, because you're like, okay, this guy's going to play. He's going to play for a long time. So the summer league horror show, like that was just a blip. It wasn't even real. Um, You didn't have to worry about it. When you watch him, you're like, okay, the passing is incredible. There's unlimited range. You know, you kept getting like, is that really a good shot? And even if it wasn't good enough shot, they were kind of going in enough to justify him taking some of these like, look at me, 30 footers. Right. Um. The way he's officiated, which drives me fucking crazy, is a benefit to his game. He's mastered it. He's mastered all the little movements, initiating all the contact because he's smaller and his body's going to move in a way off a bigger body. The refs just go for it all the time. Again, I hate it. Good for him. It works a lot. But there was something that I noticed, and I'm pretty sure I was the first national guy to ever point this out. I don't think any local guys were because all of you, I saw all the stuff you would say and how pissed you would get when I pointed out. I noticed something in his rookie year that you just don't see very often. He was so ball dominant as a rookie with some guys that have been in the league now for a while that if he took a bad shot and then they were able to get a stop at the other end, defensive rebound, they wouldn't always get the ball right back to him. He'd be looking at him and be like, hey, I'm the point guard. I want to bring the ball up. And you could see it. And I pointed it out on the Woj pod and people lost their minds because they were looking at counting stats being like, this guy's really good. He's getting like 20 games rookie year. Then you go to his second year and he's 30 and nine. And you're like, holy shit. Okay. He's made a couple all-star teams, gets to the 2021 Eastern Conference Finals. They beat the Knicks, who, look, were overachievers in Philadelphia, who completely fell apart as an organization in that series. Uh, yet, to Trey's credit, the thing that I, despite my concerns and not loving him as a player, I had to, I had to give it up for him, and that, that guy's the least scared dude that's out there. And that's something I always appreciate about any player. It's like, hey, are you scared? Do you want this? Like, Do you have those things inside of you that makes you, like in big moments, like you're up for it? And I think Trey actually has a lot of that. So that run was very empowering. Uh, they also got rid of Lloyd Pierce. There was a midseason deal there when he lost his gig and Nate McMillan came in. So Nate's part of the run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I remember reading a piece in The Athletic and I was like, man, this feels like just a massive anonymous source hit piece. And again, I'm pro-anonymous source. If we didn't have them, it'd all be a lot less interesting, Okay. And we can say, oh, that means that people can just say whatever they want. Uh, I'm just telling you the way it works, all right? We wouldn't have any fucking trade rumors ever about anything if we never had anonymous sources, all right? It just wouldn't work that way. But in this case, it was like, man, they're really laying into Lloyd Pierce. And then you had heard other stuff about like playing with Trey. But look, it was Trey's team, so nothing was really ever going to change. They change out the coach. They make that run. And it feels kind of like the next step, like, oh, look at this young team. They get to these conference finals. But I've worn different fan bases over the years. It can be really fluky. I think last year's Dallas run is kind of fluky, especially when you look at where the Mavs are in the West. 
Uh, Portland, when they got smoked by Golden State, even after Durant went out in 19, was like, okay, you made it to Western Conference Finals, but I don't know that's the neighborhood you're going to live in. Uh, Denver against the Lakers, not that long ago as well. Like, hey, this is the next step. Or maybe it's a, a flirtation with a neighborhood you're never going to live in. And that's how it feels now a couple years removed for the Atlanta Hawks. I like the roster, but when you look at the rest of the East and how much better it's gotten, you don't look at Atlanta saying, oh, they can take out any of those four teams in front of them. I don't, I don't feel that way. So they get rid of, they get rid of Pierce. It seems like the Nate thing isn't going to work out. Travis Schlenk, who was running this whole organization, steps aside or is reassigned. It felt like he had been on the hot seat for like two years from this ownership group. So Trey is getting his way. And we had that moment this year, too, when Trey didn't want to show up to the shoot around, said he was hurt, which I you know like he was obviously hurt. But then it was pretty clear, like he wanted to try to show up Nate by not showing up to the game. And that became a whole thing. And you know what? There weren't that many anonymous quotes coming to Trey's defense. I don't remember hearing it. Right. So then they bring in DeJounte Murray, which is something that Trey wanted. But I also thought the team, the front office did this to try to balance out this basketball team a little bit more instead of becoming the most predictable offense in the NBA's, which, which is what it is. But they split them so much. When you watch the sub patterns, it's pretty clear like they're trying to do more of the Chris Paul, James Harden stuff with DeJounte and Trey and letting them run it until they start together and then close together. And then it kind of turns back into what we see, which is a ton of high pick and roll for Trey to figure out what he's going to do. This front office has done a good job with this roster. So the Travis part of it, I was like, okay, but he's actually done a good job. Picking off Bogdanovich, having this backcourt. DeAndre Hunter, who I still wonder developmentally if it's the best spot for him because he just doesn't get to initiate any offense on his own. He has moments where I'm like, I think I like him. I like the double bigs um, that they can go back and forth with with the Kongu and Clint. Uh, Collins, who you know isn't perfect and I haven't always loved and feels like he's been available since he was at Wake Forest, um, is, is not a guy without talent. A.J. Griffin looks like a steal. Now he went late because he's always hurt, but it's clear that once he's allowed to have the ball a little bit more, uh, which is rare, but even rare actually a Duke because all the talent they had there, that there's more to him than just sitting in the corner hoping to hit an open three. And Jalen, who to me was a no coming out of Duke, looks like a player who might be a maybe. So there's actually some depth here. I'm not telling you it's the best roster in the East, but I thought they've done a good job. But we all know what's going to happen here because they're not good enough, so Nate will end up losing his job. They're 19th on offense this season. They run the most pick-and-roll ball handler in the NBA. Uh, they're 13th on D, which is actually a massive improvement from 26 last year and 18th the year before that in the previous two seasons. This offense that is this predictable is 26 in free throw attempts, despite Trey getting his eight to nine attempts per game, which is down a bit from his peaks. They're 27th from three. And so you can talk about, well, Ryan, you're pointing out that this coaching staff isn't doing a good job and that they are super predictable. It's so obvious what they're going to run every single time. Now to Trey's credit, He's so good and dynamic in the lob game that it's almost impossible to stop him on it. He's mastered it. He's fucking awesome. So it's a comfort default, right? It's something that he defaults to because he's so good at it and so comfortable with. It sucks for everybody else, the other three guys that aren't in that play. And I just don't know that you can play team basketball this way where you feel like you're sitting around. Like, it's not fun. It's not fun. Where is the quote where one person's like, I'm actually having a blast. This is fun. This is great. When he drags it out and we all stand around wondering if he's going to pull it from 30 feet or lob it to one of the two bigs. 
And I know the counting people are going to come back at me with the assist numbers. I'm telling you, I think he's a great passer. I'm also telling you, I think when you have the ball as much as some of the guys have in the league today, assist numbers don't really tell you the full story. I would submit the Westbrook triple-double season from 16-17. So the other thing is that Trey clearly wants to play this way. You know, so you can bring in the next coach. It's supposedly going to fix everything. This reminds me a lot of the LeBron stuff. Now, LeBron's a much better teammate than Trey Young is. But LeBron, they bring in athletes like, you know, you got to get out and run with this guy. Look at him. No, LeBron wants to slow it down. Look at the pace numbers from all the peak LeBron years. He wants to dictate everything that's going to happen. And by the way, it always worked. So why would you argue what LeBron wants to do? The player, the star player, the guy who has the ball and is making the decisions most of the time, if he's that good, he's going to decide, now this is actually what I want to do and how I want to play. Trey wants to play this way. So you can all dream about how different it's going to be with the next coach, the third coach, or the fourth coach. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. So back to Trey. He turned 24 in September. Two All-Star games. All NBA third team last season. Uh, You don't trade a guy like this, right? I know the shooting sucks this year, but he's not a 30% three-point shooter. It's not going to happen. But he's a small point guard who's running the most predictable offense in the NBA. It becomes even more of a problem in the playoffs, as we saw with Miami. I think 2021 was a fluke. Um, He's always a defensive liability. But Atlanta will never do this until it's too late. And this is all predicated on if this is actually a warning to the organization, more so than just a rival executive board in Las Vegas. Because he's their guy. He's the guy that sells their jerseys. He's the face of the franchise. He's the guy that's in every promo. He's the guy that's on the cover of the media guides, right? He's the sellable thing because his fans base loves him so much. And trust me, whenever I do these rants, you remind me every single time. Maybe he figures it out on the third or fourth coach when he's 27 or 28. Because that's kind of sometimes once you've made your money, once you've got your individual accolades and you're like, you know what? Losing all the time kind of sucks, though. It's like that Celtics team in 2007, 2008. All of those guys have done individual things. They were old enough and they were collectively over it enough to go, okay, we all need to buy in a little bit here. Uh, And again, this Atlanta team is not that team. But this is a good roster. And for what you'd get back, because another franchise this early in the Trey Young story would be like, wait, this guy's actually available? Let's do it. I think you'd plug in those pieces to the roster that you'd already have, and I think you'd have a better situation. You might not have that marquee item, but what is the marquee item really getting you, especially if he is going to get to the point where he thinks all of these failures are on everyone else, front office, coach, and teammates? And I'll ask it one more time. Where are any of the anonymous quotes that support playing with him. Like, I'm not going to argue with some of you guys about this. I'm just not. I'm not going to argue with the counting stats people. I watch it enough to know that it's not fun. And if he's going to be miserable while also being empowered, that's a brutal combination. And again, if he's totally happy and thinks it's great, he's there for the long haul, wants to make some adjustments, then fine. Keep them. And they're going to keep them anyway. But if this is coming from him, I wouldn't wait three or four years to find out if this is going to be solved. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. 
From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Okay, let's pivot Christmas tales from the couch. We start with the Knicks in Philadelphia, uh, both teams that have been hot lately. R.J. Barrett, since I said, you know, I just want to see that next step, the progression from where he was last year, he's on fire. Um, and then Harden really got it going from deep. Uh, 108-98, Nyang hits a three. Philly had been down 14 points. The Philly zone really messed up the Knicks. Then Brunson left the game, so that adds to it. Then he came back, but it wasn't. Like, you could just see, and, you know, I know everybody thinks Doc is terrible. There actually are some adjustments that happen with Philadelphia on a night-to-night basis where I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, Randall kind of felt like he was forcing. It just felt like a ton of, you know, individual Knicks guys being so stymied that it it got really ugly offensively for them. On the other side, uh, the Knicks had a brutal time dealing with Harden at the top because they were running this switch. And this actually happened a lot without Embiid, who's been on an absolute tear again. I mean, it's just who who he is at this point. Um, Mitchell Robbins getting into foul trouble kind of changed momentum a little bit there too as well uh, for the Knicks. But the Knicks offense, again, anybody who watched the game, just falling apart here late. But, you know, look, the, the Sixers were doing something really simple at the top. They were running, you know, a high screen roll with Harden and... Niang made him pay like every single time. And they would send two to Harden, which makes sense. Niang hits a three. They left him. Um, then they ran it again and they decided to like just switch it. And then Harden got Grimes to just peak a little bit. And then Grimes still almost contested the pass, got it back to Niang, and he hit another three. And that was that was it. Like Harden was just, you know, had had the puppet master thing going he just knew where everybody was going to be placed and he was he was terrific here uh the elbow jumper stuff that Embiid was doing he was doing it last week against somebody too like it was against drop coverage they just adjusted to what they were doing it was just a free throw contest for Embiid I mean these teams are going to drop against Embiid this much and leave him with a wide open elbow jumper like forget it you might as well forfeit uh it was a 21 to 4 76ers run Still, Maxi's out. We mentioned Brunson leaving at 359. Niang hits four threes in the fourth. And like I said, in the last one, they tried to make an adjustment off of that. They were like, no more two staying with Harden off the screen. And they, they still got a three on him. And that was kind of the story of the game. All right, LA, Dallas. This was so boring. Uh, Dallas was missing everything at the beginning of the game. They did mic up Jason Kidd. They were going to give us some real audio. And a side note on the audio this season in the NBA, it feels like we're hearing more and more stuff. It does. Whenever there's a timeout on the floor, not even the timeout, or just like a stop in the action, and then the guys are talking, I'm all for it. It's great. Like I'm hearing more things this year than I've ever heard before because I feel like the audio is cranked up a little bit. However, with Jay Kidd, he said shit twice, I think in 90 seconds but they were kind of like cool the way he delivered it. So I'm not sure people quite realized what he had said. And I don't know that it was ever addressed in the broadcast because usually people get really, really uh, weird about it. It was a really fun LeBron game in the first half. It was kind of doing whatever he wanted. I also noticed in the middle of this that Green Bay on third and five ran it up 23-20 to settle for the field goal with 26-20. Now the score with 2.02 left. I thought, is that because they're so not afraid of Tua? Granted, Miami didn't have any timeouts, but you're kicking off at 2.02. 
Like you weren't going to try to go up the two scores there. Nope. I liked it. Um, so there's that. That's number one for NFL five things. Number two for NFL five things. I'm a little worried about the Bills again, or maybe the Bears are just good against the best teams. Uh, number three would be maybe Tom Brady should just play in the fourth quarter. Number four would be you thought you had a bad time last week, Pats fans. How about coming all the way back? Like Cincinnati, when they were up 22 nothing. I'm going, this is the right score. This is a score that reflects who these teams are, where they're headed, and how we feel about them. And there's no complications for any of this. Like, we're good. And then finally, Russell Wilson, number five, is so bad that he might get Baker Mayfield a big-time contract next season. Okay, moving on. Back to Tales from the Couch. Those are your football five things from the weekend. Um, a 22-point swing on this one. Lakers, this this current Lakers version, to have Beverly just try to annoy Luka into a bad game doesn't seem like a great defensive strategy. Um, the Lakers are a mess again. And it's kind of funny when Dallas is missing everything like they were in the first half. When their offense is bad, you'll look at it and be like, okay, who are the other initiators? Like, what else do you have? Now, Kleber's out for a while. No Kemba, which is going to be hit or miss all the time. Josh Green's missing a few games. Uh, Finney Smith is out as well. So they have Frank Nielakina not available. Uh, so a lot of guys are missing in this one for him. But when Dallas is bad offensively, you're just like, okay, other than Dinwiddie, who's that second creator? Like Hardaway sometimes, maybe. But a lot of it is like spacing it out. But then when it's good, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Look at all the shooting. It's spaced out the whole way. And they had nothing for Luca, like nothing for him when he decides he wants to get going. Okay, so Dallas wins that game. That was the most boring game of all of them. Let's get to the Celtics hosting Milwaukee Bucks. So watching Giannis defensively on the assignments and as a voter now, this is gonna, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to just constantly keeping track of the matchups because at some point I would be like, you know what? I need I need the best defensive uh, one of the supposed best defensive players in the league. And look, I, I say supposed as if this is negative about Giannis. And I get that the defensive assignments, a lot of it's like over the course of the season, we don't want Giannis chasing around Jason Tatum the entire time. But he's on Rob Williams, he's on uh Al Horford, he's on Grant Williams at times. He did pick up Jalen in the second half. We're gonna get to the kind of the 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 spot here where I think it's important to focus in on. But it's something I'm noticing more and more. Where, like, even Jaron Jackson, who we'll get to a little bit later, right? Uh, in that Memphis Milwaukee game, Stephen Adams is on Giannis, and probably the hope is there to beat him up, and also because Jaron Jackson can't stop fouling out of games or getting into foul trouble. So we'll address that later when we talk about Golden State's win. So the other thing that I've also been looking at this season, because I feel like I'm seeing it more and more, it's the decision on who you want to switch into. There's so many possessions that don't make any sense to me. Like, I watched a Brooklyn-Toronto game a couple weeks ago where I was like, wait, you want to switch off of Siakam into Scotty Barnes? Like, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I mean, it's not as egregious as switching out of... But, like, at one point, the Celtics did it a couple times. They switched Tatum into... Off of Wes Matthews into Giannis. <laughs> I was like, wait, Wesley Matthews is on Tatum, and now you're running a screen with the guy Giannis is assigned to and now you have Tatum against Giannis? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then the next time, they didn't switch it, and Tatum took Wes Matthews one-on-one and scored. And then they did it again, but then I was looking at, okay, maybe this was something where Tatum got the switch onto Giannis, but then he swung the basketball, so maybe the goal was now that Giannis has switched on Tatum, like he knows he has to defend me to 30 feet out, and that's bringing, bringing Giannis away from the rest of the action. So there's a justification for it there if that was originally the plan. 
But the first time they had done it in this three-play sequence, I was like, wait, this doesn't, why would you actually want to do this? And I see teams doing it all the time. Like that Brooklyn-Toronto game, like finally there was a time where they were like, oh, wait, why aren't we switching into Fred Van Vliet? Like, why are we screwing around with the Siakam-Barnes decision? Like, let's, if we're going to switch this, let's switch it to the other guy, especially when you're talking about Durant with the basketball going, you know, once you get that first switch in any kind of gap, and Durant is so good too, and Jalen did this yesterday too against Giannis, where it's like, okay, if somebody is hesitating on the screen a second, like, I'll get into my shot attempt even earlier. And Durant's pointed this stuff out in the past where he'll be like, well, if I see a defense doing something where the two guys are coming up off of the screen to staying with me, I may decide to just get in my shot a little bit early. It's almost like shot prep for yourself mentally. So just something to look at there. It just happens the league a lot where I'm thinking, why would you switch into something that clearly is a worse situation than what you previously had other than the switch actually you know, the argument would be, hey, just any kind of action is getting somebody to switch and then there's some movements and now all of a sudden there's, it's not so much confusion, but now you're forced to make, you're forcing defense to make some kind of decisions. But again, if you switch it and now you back it out and you're trying to ISO it against a way better defensive player, that to me will never make any sense. All right, halftime, 62-61. Boy, that was a long screen rant. Uh, the Celtics were 9-21 of from threes. Milwaukee was only 4-16. of So at 62-61, you're thinking... Is this going to be a problem? Uh, and then we had more Drew on Tatum. Then Giannis was on Jalen. Uh, Giannis in the mid-range stuff, when he starts forcing the issue, it's it's incredible. You know, like he starts hitting some of these mid-range shots, which makes you wonder why he's not a better shooter in some of the other areas. Like he's never going to give up on the threes, even though the threes always feel like a defensive win. Um, the numbers are just not there to back up justifying how much of a bailout it feels like. But I wonder if it's, I still like wonder with Giannis because I'm so impressed with him every time I watch him. Like, is there going to be a part of his crew where he actually figures this out later on? Uh, having Rob Williams in the lineup does a couple things. One, we know defensively what the numbers were for Boston when they had them, but he just makes it hard to rebound. And there are counting rebounding numbers. And then there's also watching somebody destroy your plans around the rim where he might not get the rebound. The team might not get the rebound, but it's just an absolute pain in the ass when this person is in there. Anderson Verajao was always somebody like this. Robin Lopez is somebody like this. Uh, I remember like when this first dawned on me, I'm going, I, I like guys. It's not, hey, he has 12 every night. It's that he's fighting for 40 of them every single night. And when Rob Williams is in the game, it changes what the other team thinks they're going to be able to do around the rim just on the defensive glass for the other team. So Rob, at one point, volleyballs an offensive rebound. He gets passed up to Tatum. He goes right at Giannis and finishes. Okay? That wasn't the dunk. Um, that, was, that was another drive. The fact that Tatum is now in a position where he's going at Giannis is incredible. And it was clear from the first night that Tatum's drive package here was going to be different this season. And it is a kind, and everybody that talks about it all season, they're right on point about it. It was a problem. His path, he would allow the defender to derail his path on drives. Uh, he was driving, he was always like when you're constantly driving away from contact, there can be this epiphany as a basketball player where you're like, wait, I'm big and I can just kind of go into the other person. Now, against Giannis, you're never going to be bigger than him. But the fact that Tatum sees Giannis. And was like, no, I'll still just drive right at you. Is such a mental win for both the player and the team. Tatum, 20 points in the third. We mentioned the Rob Williams part of this. 
Grant Williams hits a three. They're up one sixteen ninety one. They go up one twenty one hundred one. Jalen starts to go off again, and then Giannis, you're like, wait, is he going to bring them back into this thing? He hits his first three. He was only one of five, uh, but that was not the case. Boston ends up winning this game. There was a little dust up there with Jalen and Giannis. I really thought it was nothing, kind of on both ends, which is usually the case. Uh, and then at three thirty seven, Milwaukee subbed everybody out. Let's talk Golden State, Memphis. Pick it up at 7.56 in the third. 72.61. There was a take foul call in this one that was so impossible. Because now the take foul, which is a good thing because we want fast breaks. This should have never happened to the point where we were just, everybody was taking take fouls. And I think a lot of players, well, half the time they were doing it because they saw everybody else doing it. It wasn't that great. They had a foul where they were going to start hacking Adams, and the pass from Jaw actually went backwards, and they called it a take foul. Now, Mark Jackson tried to pretend that he knew it. He pulled the old Theismann, where you know how off-camera in an NFL game, the official that threw the flag will go to the referee and be like, hold on 71, and then Theismann be like, I think this is going to be a hold. It's like because you could always see the guy doing it. It was hilarious. Like Once you figure it out, you're like, oh. And Mark Jackson was like, yeah, take foul, take foul. And then Van Gunny's losing it, being like, that's that's not even what was happening on this. Like, guys were back. Morant passed it backwards. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Kerr lost his mind. So, Bain is back, second game in. He's 6 of 26 from the floor, 2 of 15 from 3. Whatever. Not going to worry about it. But he looked like a guy who hadn't played basketball in a long time. Clay had some moments, too, where I continue to be a little scared. Granted, John Morant's going to fly past everybody, but he got him on the baseline at one point where I don't even think Clay moved. Like, he hadn't even processed to react yet. Uh, 83-77, and, and a lot like the Celtics part of this where Golden State's 15-30 from three and Memphis is 5-23. I'm going like, man, Golden State feels like they should be up by more at this point. Uh, the Golden State rotation, when they really started putting together a run, was Clay Thompson with Kaminga, with Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb in there for a minute. Moody in there. Wiseman had had a really big game against the Knicks the other night. Uh, he only played eight minutes last night. Ty Jerome will always be one of my favorite players. I just love the way that guy plays basketball. His pace, his decision-making, when you think you have him and you don't, I'd love to see him stick around in the league for a long time. I just He's, one of, he's always going to be one of my all-time favorites watching him back in college. So Poole and all these guys are starting to feel themselves. They're starting to cook. Uh, they get 11 straight. There's a timeout. Place is going wild. They're up 91-77. And so this is the thing with Golden State. I mentioned it last week with the Curry injury. Like, could there be this silver lining that Clay feels like he has to step up his game? Draymond certainly has offensively. Poole has had some big nights. Um, maybe the younger guys will feel like we we just have to, even though it feels like your job's going to be a little bit harder because there's just not going to be as much space because Steph makes everything easier for the other four guys that are always out there. Um and as I'm watching Golden State feel themselves and go through all this stuff, I'm also thinking like, hey, this is cool that you're at home on Christmas doing this, but don't lose by 30 to the Nets and almost 40 to the Knicks. Like, don't be 3-16 and 16 on the road. Like, I know you're having, I'm not telling you to not have fun, but you shouldn't be that bad on the road if you can do this against Memphis at home. Let's talk a little bit about this Jaron Jackson play because this was insane. So he picks up his fifth foul in 10 minutes on a screen where he grabs Wiseman's jersey. The officials 
column for this fifth foul. And Clay had the ball in the action. And then Clay went up to take the free throws. He takes the first one. The Memphis bench is freaking out. Want to know why? Because they're right. The foul was on Jackson near Wiseman. There was no point of where he was touching Clay. They huddled, talked about it, and then let Clay take the second free throw. That's not why Memphis lost the game. But I'm watching this going, wait, this is so obvious what happened. And then the officials who, you know, I don't like to be on social media constantly going like, oh, these guys suck, these guys suck. You know how many times we all think they screwed up the play and then we see the replay and we're like, oh, they kind of got that right. My bigger problem with officiating is them philosophically allowing things to happen and evolve and develop over time where we're just heading in a direction where it's awful. That's a bigger, it's a macro issue, not a, not a play-by-play foul here, foul there type of thing. This was absurd. I don't know that I've ever, I'm sure it's happened where they missed it, but Memphis was calling it out. They huddled and then they just let play take the next free throw. I'd also sign up for more Kaminga defending jaw. You're helpless against Ja, right? We get it. But Kaminga seemed really tuned up for it. Uh, Poole then got ejected. Bain kept missing shots. Uh, then there was like a 109-94 stretch, seven minutes plus to go. And I thought, wait, this is going to get weird. And Memphis had gone on a little bit of a run. That's Yeah, it was 106-86. And then it went to 105-94. Um, but then it was over. It was so over that they threw an alley-oop to Clay Thompson who finished with uh, a layup on that alley-oop attempt. You don't see that a lot. The alley-oop back, and Clay was like, what the fuck are you doing here? I don't know. You like, like with Boston, the Milwaukee result, ooh, this means emphatically that Boston is better than Milwaukee. I'm not, look, Milwaukee would have to be 11 seed before the playoffs started for me to even write them off, right? I know that's impossible. No Middleton in that game. I like Boston's depth better than Milwaukee's. You know, Ingles is going to come along at some point and start hitting shots. I think it's another big body to deal with wings. He was somebody that was always defending bigger players, right? Uh, when he was at his peak with Utah. But when Ja says to Malika Andrews in a sit down, like, who do you watch? Who do you think you have to go up against? He says, Boston. And she goes, well, what about the West? He goes, I'm fine in the West. And if you're watching it, you're going, okay, this is him being like, we're good with the West. We're not afraid of anybody. And there's part of it, look, if you're a Memphis fan, you're like, cool, it's confident. And by the way, congrats to Ja, signature shoe. You'd want to talk about somebody who should always have a signature shoe, who's that much fun, who kids would love, who's in a city that loves him. Um, the personality alone, congrats to him. Because when I think about like signature shoes and the fact that Kyrie got to have one for as long as he did and that relationship, he wasn't awesome with Nike at all. Uh, I, I think Ja would appreciate it a little bit more. Because Kyrie got it because of the LeBron thing, pretty much. I thought that was a lame quote. Like, you need to have more of a playoff resume. As much as I like Memphis, respect him. I don't even give a shit that they lost this game. You need to have more of a playoff resume before you start saying, quote, I'm fine in the West. We finish late night in Denver. Phoenix at Denver. The Suns have a brutal stretch. Ten of their next 12 on the road. Campaign out. Cam Johnson out. If we could get the camera off of Cam Johnson while it's an inbound alley-oop dunk to Aaron Gordon, that would be appreciated in the future. Um, 
there was some weird stuff on the broadcast. They were talking about how Denver was better on defense. They're, they're not. I mean, they're 15th in December, so maybe that's good, but it's 24th on the season. But they have their guys back. They've got Murray back. They've got Michael Porter Jr. back, who right now is in the just-getting-back phase of jumping and not knowing what he's going to do. He loves jumping and then going, now what am I supposed to do? But when he's right, he's really tough to deal with offensively. We know that. And Murray clearly is getting to a point here health-wise where it's different. But Booker goes out of this one, so now you're wondering what's going to happen. And yet Phoenix got up there late. Aiton misses a free throw towards the end of regulation, which makes it a two-point game instead of a three-point game. Denver runs a really nice handoff, Jokic to Murray, who dunks it to tie the game up. It was a little weird because Aiton wasn't screened. He was playing behind Aiton. He had a chance to go over to help Murray at the rim. I can understand being a little freaked out about ever leaving Jokic, but at that part of it where I think like Paul was at the elbow and it was another undersized guy in the corner where there wasn't going to be much resistance, I just think it's hard. I just think it's hard for players. It's hard. It's even harder for the bigger guys to be like split second, wait, and then it's like the second you hesitate, Murray dunks it, they tie it up. Um, and then Phoenix got called for an illegal screen on their possession, where it was basically just a collision with Bridges and KCP off a of Paul screen. I think it was kind of the right call. It just it was just this collision. Um, anyway, then Murray got blocked on a three. He said he got hit in the mouth. He didn't get hit on the contest hand from from Bridges. He just blocked it. And honestly, Murray got himself kind of stuck on that three point attempt at the end of the regulation. So when Denver's seven or eight deep. And they have their guys. You're watching being like, hey, this is the first seed right now in the West. I'm not sure I totally buy it because the defense thing is I got to see better stretch of defense from them before I can buy into it. But God, that's a really nice seven to eight, even though as much as I like Bones Highland, if he's your seven or eight, that's pretty good. It's just that it can be a little erratic at times. Uh, Phoenix in the beginning was trying to run some eight and roll man stuff. I think Chris Paul got sick of passing to him at one point. And... After being down, they traded some threes. Phoenix was down 127-125. Chris Paul hit a jumper there. But Paul's shooting was bad last night. He's 6-17, 0-3 from three, and 5-10 from the free throw line. Uh, yes, I need more time with the Chris Paul thing. It's not just the numbers. He's had a couple big scoring games here, and the shooting percentages have started to go up after being just dismal to start the season. But it's not the numbers with Paul. It's him, he looks like he gets stuck more in certain actions where it's like, okay, he's coming off and he's not turning the corner on anybody. I don't even care about his numbers. I care that, well, again, his, the three-point shooting for two years now has been an issue, but you know, missing mid-range stuff, he was missing those kinds of shots last night. He just kind of looked defeated. So I'm working with the Older guy that misses as much time as he did with the heel, it's taking a little bit longer. I don't like writing off anybody because of injuries. It's just stupid. But I'm very concerned. Granted, they lost Booker in this one, and they still had a chance to win it. Um, but Denver's your one seed. We've covered the defensive stuff. The dunks from Aaron Gordon were terrific. I praise the officials for on the Shamit charge, changing that one because Shamit moved. That should never be a charge ever. Everybody was missing free throws at the end of this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Denver's your one seed and maybe they are, maybe they are the best team in the West. Uh, it is clogged up there at the top and it's going to, I just think it's going to kind of cycle through all of those teams unless we have like massive injuries coming 
And, you know, Booker not being available for this one obviously changes a lot of what you can do offensively because I was kind of shocked Phoenix was even up and in it as late as they were because it looked like a grind for him. That's Tales from the Couch with a pinch of the top five things from the NFL weekend. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. How was your Christmas, Kyle? Good, man. I've just been drained since Saturday morning. That Pat's thing, 10 a.m., beer and coffee at the same time. I just, I think I was some sort of elixir. i just been really, I can see it in my face today even. I'm just, I'm still working back to, working back to leveling out. You don't look great. I don't feel great. Yeah. It was I'm a Merry Christmas, be, though. So. It was a Merry Christmas? You get anything yeah. cool? All that. Not really. Not really. Um, didn't actually get a lot of physical stuff. So uh, I basically got gifts of, of money from like close people in my family that I then used to buy gifts for other people in my family. And then when I told them that, they were like, like, I wasn't supposed to do that. I don't know. I just apparently that's not what you're supposed to do with gifts. But, uh, you know, budgets, budgets to budget. So uh, I don't know. I thought budgets they were going to be happy. Yeah. thought they were going to be happy that I'd be like, hey, yeah, thanks. For- I really used that. I really, that money really came in handy this time of year. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, I guess that's fine. So I, I guess don't say that to your grandma. I think the parents understood. Grandma didn't so much. You gave your grandma money? No, I got gifts for people with money that she gave me. You oh. know, and her idea is like, oh, you know, take take your fiance out to dinner. It's like, yeah, no, actually, I was, you know, boxing shit up and sending stuff out with it. So thanks. I really needed that. You really helped me out there. And she was just like, oh, I guess that's fine. So I don't know. I guess yeah, I, just, I would I would I would keep that to yourself. I thought sure. she was going to be happy that she helped me out. But I guess uh, she, she wasn't into that. So. No, <laughs> didn't see no. that one coming. That, that's not going to work. Nope. Uh, I mistake. bought somebody in my family a laptop, brand new laptop uh, a couple of years ago. I was really excited. Felt like, hey, this is going to be great. And then came home to visit like two months later and somebody else in the family had repossessed it. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, that wasn't really the plan. And I went to the other person and was like, hey, what? And the guy was like, "Hmm." (laughs) okay. (laughs) Ruining Christmas. Yeah. uh, All right. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's Let's do some emails here. Got a lot of youth sports ones for some reason. Okay, middle school's uh, middle school girls basketball. Twenty four years old, five ten, one sixty. I've been lifting steadily since I began high school, but I haven't maxed since I was a senior because I feel bad asking strangers to interrupt their workout to spot me, and definitely not because I'm worried my barely postpubescent eighteen year old self could outbench adult prime of his life me. Um. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Got info. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, a coworker of mine has a friend who teaches at a local middle school, and apparently, the school is looking for someone to coach a seventh, eighth grade girls' basketball team. I spent the past two years teaching at a different middle school in Texas. All right, so we got some, we got some, so we got some real pedigree here. I now live in the Midwest, so my coworker asked if I'd be willing to help out. I think I'm going to do it. Based on my past two years of experience, I feel pretty comfortable being around kids that age. I was actually an assistant coach of the boys' basketball team at the school I taught at in Texas. 0-2 record in year one, but we had a comeback story for the ages during my second year. I won our tiny eight-school district championship. I'm also not sure if there's ever been a coach to lead two middle school basketball teams that have different genders and occupy different states' district titles before the age of 25. Yeah, man, I haven't kept track of that 
lane either. So maybe you are that's the like, only one. That's like my Modell's ma- youngest manager thing. It sounds right. <laughs> like yep. uh, You won't get any argument from me. <laughs> I'd love to get somebody from corporate at Modell's. They're done though, right? Uh, I, they're they definitely done in Poughkeepsie. I think they're around. I think there's probably one in New York City. Yeah, there's got to be one in New York City. Why would yeah. I even say that? Right. Well, looks like we're probably not getting a sponsor for them or maybe we will. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'd love to get somebody from corporate models be like, Kyle, Just to refute that. <laughs> no, not to refute it, to back it up. Be like, yeah, we've fun. been trying to track him down, actually. Yeah. <laughs> we've got yeah. this plaque. We've got this plaque. We've been trying to give him. <laughs> this is this amazing stroke of luck. Thank you for reaching out to us. We, we, we had different apartment addresses and nothing came back. Okay. So by the age of 25, so I feel like this would be a cool way to cement my legacy in the pantheon of part-time <laughs> volunteer coaches. So my question for Ryan as a basketball savant, Kyle, as someone who I suspect has spent his fair share of time around middle school girls. What the fuck is that? I don't know what that's about. I used to work for a school district. Maybe that's what you meant. And I'll just pretend that's what you meant. Fucking weirdo. Yeah, this better this this email better land strong. (laughs) How do I ingratiate myself into this group when I legitimately don't know a single student parent faculty member at the school? Okay. Yeah, gonna... I mean, you're going to be the weird older guy. You know, you're 24. You're a fucking hundred to the seventh and eighth graders, right? Uh, how can I turn this group of teenage girls I've never met into a powerhouse capable of making 12 year olds across northern Indiana shudder at the thought of stepping foot on a basketball court? If it helps, while I'll put my NBA comp uh, in here, he says a great value, Trey Jones. I like Trey Jones. Uh, I'm not above giving a bunch of preteen girls buckets in practice if it translates to wins. All right. I would start with never saying the second line to anyone ever again. <laughs> All right. Like, I get what you're saying. It sounds like you're going to take this really seriously. Okay. And I don't know, like the middle school thing, I wouldn't say no one take it seriously. But I think the first thing I would do is get a sense of what the roster is and figure out if it's going to be a competitive year or in a lot of these cases, a fun year. Right? <laughs> um, I would also, who's the cool teacher at the school? Likely female, right? That relates to the girls at this age a little bit better than maybe the cool guy teacher does. And ask her about the dynamic. You know, ask somebody, like, try to get some kind of scattering report on the group that you're going to be coaching which again could be misleading and you could say, Hey, everybody starts with a clean slate and all this kind of stuff. But, but you know, kids are, kids are always smarter. I think at times than we, we give them credit for, you know, they're going to know if you're a phony immediately. So, you know, the second line, I know you're kidding around about giving them buckets, but I don't think you want to be like hardo guy day one when no one knows you and you have no resume. The Hardo high school, middle school coach, and again, it does exist in middle schools, like ones that take it really seriously, right? Like I had one coach, I think of an eighth grade team where he was like, he was one of the toughest guys ever. (laughs) It should get easier after that, okay? Uh, And I'm not talking about my dad. Um, If you you have to, like that person, if he's going to get away with that stuff, the parents are going to buy in. There needs to be a little bit more equity. And you at this point have none. Right. Like, I'm still not 100 percent sure what you said when you were talking about your resume as an assistant. And I can promise you no one's going to care about that in 
an area that's multiple states away in a completely different region of the country, right? So I would, I would like my goal would be my first impression as the coach in this situation would be I want, I want to relax. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to relax about like being too intense from the jump because. If you're out of control in the beginning and you're new, you know, you get a couple of the girls to turn on you. They're telling the parents and, you know, next thing you know, it's like, hey, the kids are running and they're, they're going a little too hard. We don't even know who this guy is, right? If you'd been there 10 years and in the town of the community and everything, then you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So my major concern, not to deviate from however your vision is as a coach and all the stuff you want to do. I'm not telling you give a sh- who gives a shit, roll the ball out there, never run any plays and never get the conditioning up. I'm not telling you all of those things. I'm just saying I don't know as the newest guy like my major concern would be I don't want to lose this group immediately for coming on too strong as a coach. Right. And he's he's not the assistant anymore. I thought, I mean, maybe this email was just maybe I got clouded by his middle school girls thing by me. And I'm just I don't want to give him any advice. But I think I think I understood what he's saying. Maybe when I was in middle school or I don't know. But was he is he going as an assistant coach or is this a head coach job? Well, it's a great follow up because the way I read it originally I have a friend who teaches at a middle school, and apparently the school is looking for someone to coach its seventh, eighth grade girls basketball. All right, so he's the head okay. coach, right? Right, okay. but in the same paragraph, he says, "So my coworker asked if I'd be willing to help out." Um, hmm. so I'm going to assume he means head coach because that's how I've answered this oh, the yeah. whole time, and because I think that first sentence tells you that yeah, also right. could be kind of a like a vibe hint too on where this programs programs at. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're just looking for somebody to help out. You just need coach. a guy there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if they're if the team's too big, we need to have another person for chaperone. But uh, the team's small enough that we can just as long as it's you or your buddy, it's fine. Because, <laughs> no, I don't, I'm not I'm not I'm saying this about boys or girls, by the way. OK. If this team stinks, use this as, you know, maybe you'll be Coach K one day. I don't think you want to prove it week one with this group is the sense I'm getting from the limited facts that I have here. Uh, I know some people in youth sports that are coaching or maybe listening to this being like, why are you being so soft about this the whole time? That's fine. Whatever. Um, But I can only go based on what information, limited information, again, we have in the email here that if somebody's like, there's no coach already, it's like, oh, we're desperate. We need somebody to go do this thing. I would use it as the learning experience, which is what, you know, I interviewed uh, when I was like 23 for an eighth grade boys coaching job. And, you know, you want to talk about prepping. Um, I really wanted this. I was really fired up and I went in and, you know, believe it or not, as much as I can make fun of myself for being a fucking idiot uh, for a good chunk of those years, I could be good at that. Like I knew what to say. And I was like, you know, look, I played basketball my whole life. Obviously nothing uh, that in any stage that matters, but I, you know, remember, I'm not that far removed from remembering what it was like at those years, you know, and you're also dealing with the developmental side of, of kids, both physically and mentally, you know, right. like you seventh to ninth grade, that jump of like who you are as a person, you know, parents listening to this right now, you know, it's like, wow, that, that, you know, that is that, that kind of big jump. And you have to understand that as much as you have to understand coaching and basketball and all that kind of stuff. So 
I was excited just about, I didn't think I was going to go in and start out coaching everybody because I watch a ton of NBA. There's still plenty of shit, terminology and all that kind of stuff, rules, help rules, like they're even talking about help rules in junior at the top level, I'm sure you are, but it's, it's as much an experience for you in the beginning as it is about any of the kids. And that's kind of how I would look at this. I would look at it as, all right, you want to be a lifelong coach. You want to do all these different things. You can start winning state titles, you know, high school, whatever. Okay. You're 24. You've never had coached before. You haven't ever been in this community before. You know, find out about the kids, try to get in with the community, try to get in with some of the staff a little bit, go in. But if they stink, if they're awful, like use this as your learning experience of how you want to be as a coach and try to still make it as fun as you can be for everybody. If, again, based on this, it sounds like you're not exactly dealing with a bunch of D1 recruits. Yeah, because that's the age. And that's the age, too, where you're not really sure. Like for, for me, it was football. I played football from seventh grade till I graduated high school. But I did not My mom was just like, yeah, we're not doing the Pop Warner. It's money. It's we're not doing it. I wanted to. I felt but I was like I was one of those guys who showed up at, you know, seventh grade the first year I could, you know, suit up for pads and whatever. And I'm like, uh, I think a lot of these guys have been playing Pop Warner or whatever the other you know league is. And I just remember my coach was really good about it. He was like, all right, how many of you have never played before? And I, I looked around, a couple people raised their hands. And he was like, all right, everybody stand on this line, stand straight up, look down. If you can't see your feet, you're a lineman, go over there. And I thought like that was, it was just, he broke it down in such a good, funny way that he also, I felt like, I felt comfortable that like, all right, I'm not the only guy who doesn't know what the hell's going on here. And you could also, you just want to make it so that, you know, your, your players aren't afraid to like ask you questions to understand better. That's what all I mean is just remember this is the age where some of them, this is the first time some of them um, probably have played an organized sport like this, depending on who their parents are and how into traveling for organized sports they were. So I would just say try to remember that because that's something that always stuck with me. So you want to be one of those coaches, I think. What, uh, any football accolades, Kyle, in high school? Anything we need to share? With the audience? A couple defensive player of the weeks. Um, yeah. Um, that's about it. Yeah. Got a, got a pick that didn't count. I don't know. Called back? Yeah. They said my knees were on the ground. They weren't. It's all right. We saw it on film the next day. Wait a minute. Your knees were on the ground. Like, yeah, there's, they basically called it, like, basically it was like a pick, a uh, sort of sack pick, not really a fumble because he like, yeah, I see what you're saying. And I kind of got, I grabbed it and I, you know, before I touched the ground, there's no replay though, you know, in real time. So I just, I know it. I know I had it. So did the team, but didn't, didn't count. Thank but God. Okay. That's all I got. This is, uh, this is a new one to me. Always <sighs> looking for help on uh, verbiage. Hi guys, uh, five seven to five nine, two fifty to two seventy. Five seven to five nine. <laughs> <laughs> I probably need advice, but I'm not asking. I love the pod, especially life advice. Quotes are for emphasis, not to be a troll. Uh, so does my wife. I've noticed the use of the word female in the pod recently. I don't want to be the woke police, but in my experience, this word is taken condescendingly by women. I'll let you do all the research, but just want to highlight a possible misstep because I know you guys are good dudes. There was a question we might not be good dudes because we were using the word female. You know what's funny is I got called out for using girl a few times and then I just pivoted to female or women. Um, so it's women. I guess women's are it's women. a safe word, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thanks for our life advice. Yeah. I don't think I ever say female though, guy. But if you're keeping the numbers, uh, send them over my way, email her. Let me know if I've been doing it as well. 
All right. Um, <laughs> at least it didn't end with do better. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, my, that's a, that's a great way to shut it all down. <laughs> right. Most emails that end with do better were bad emails. <laughs> this has been my experience when I when I see kind of like a do better. We got one on the Dor- Dorchester Boston thing that was like it was so bad and aggressive and so fucking off base. Um cuz I did more research on it after the fact. And it kind of came down to, yeah, like what I thought is that people that like live in Boston, technically, Georgia, you know, I'm not going to do this whole fucking thing all over again. <laughs> technically, it got it under is, your skin a yeah. little though, did it? <laughs> no, it was, it was so nasty. And then it went into a direction that it was so not even close to being for like why I would believe that or say it was the, the argument was that I actually didn't believe what I was saying, but I was doing it because of a preconceived bias. I mean, performatively it was or something. Insane. You're doing it performatively yeah. or something. Right. Okay. right. And then it, then it ended with like, do better. And I just went. So, I mean, honestly, I don't even know. The guy was so fucking mad in the email that I would be like, does this guy, do you listen to another app? Can you get this mad? <laughs> and then be like, oh shit, NFL stuff. Week, week 12. <laughs> If he's still listening now, it won't be after this one. No, but I did. Not. I did read it, and I there was a real exhale at the end, going, "Wow, like this, this went in a direction I did not expect." Okay, um, we got a prenup follow up from our guy. Oh, I got married into money. I have a prenup. I just ask your lawyer to review the contract and mark up and send back. Try to take all emotion out of it and tell your fiance and her dad that you're going to have a lawyer look at it and send back comments. So you mean exactly what we said and what happened in the email. Got it. I'm feeling it a bit today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we just, we, we have a lot of people that don't listen to what happens in the email. Like they go, oh, I can, I can add a comment to this. And you're like, yeah, Wait. that's Pretty yeah, much I guess that exactly, is what we said. That is yeah. what we said. You're and right. what yeah. the guy was going to do. Right. Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> the, the sort. I had them all sorted this morning, and now I can't find. You're all flustered the ones. now. You're, you're I'm flustered. flying. Yeah, I'm flying blind on Kyle. Here's one that just says something terrible, about Kyle. Do we keep doing this? <laughs> <laughs> what do we got? Uh. Kyle's terrible taking the phone advice. At least Kyle includes these in there, though. He does not. Kyle does not sift through them to protect himself. I think looking through someone's phone, especially for this girl who'd been burned before, is a terrible idea. I've had it done to me. It can completely destroy the trust in the relationship unless you have one of her friends do it and only report something super egregious like cheating had occurred instead of just texting. Because what's going to happen is the girlfriend is going to see the text. The guy didn't even solicit. Now all of a sudden the girlfriend is going to be like, who the fuck is Angie? This isn't the greatest written series of sentences, but I get his point. He's suggesting. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not saying I think it's a good idea. She, what here's, here's one of those. Let's read the email things again. She, she wasn't just like, feel bad for me. She wasn't like, she was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Not like, hey, how, am I ever going to forgive this guy? Obviously not. She's just like, how am I supposed to be a person in a relationship again? And my point was like, 
How, I guess you just guess. I mean, you went to therapy with the guy <laughs> about cheating, who's the guy's maybe was cheat. He went to therapy with you and then cheated like in the worst way. So I don't know. It was just I don't know how you how you can have all that in your head. You would say therapy's the answer, but like sometimes those guys will go to therapy with you. That's all I'm saying. I'm, all I'm saying was at the one year mark, maybe just just maybe peak if you're gonna peak anyway, because she had already peaked like two and a half years in. My point was, if you're going to peak anyway, maybe just at the one year mark when it seems pretty serious, just peak. That's all I said. Other, I, otherwise, I don't know. I'm not a peaker. I don't feel the need to, but I could see not why you would, I could see why you would be like, if I don't peak, I don't know what the fuck, how am I supposed to sleep at night if I don't peak? So I thought maybe if you could limit yourself to one peak at the serious stage, perhaps. That's all I mean. Sorry, guy. I didn't know you have PTSD from somebody going through your phone, but um, I'm just saying for this, for our friend, the emailer, our woman friend, uh, I don't know no, it's how a she's going to ever get over it. No, I'm no, saying for, in response to the women. That's oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we have any follow. Let me, I'll search the old machine there and see if there was a follow-up. Did you send me one? I don't think you did. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, so I think the point of this email, which now I regret reading, is simply like it's the guy's side of if I get a text from somebody in the past and then somebody looks through the phone, and then it turns into this whole thing. He's basically seeing like if the guy seems like a great dude, but was one time drunk texting a girl, checking in, but no plans to ever physically meet up. Should that be grounds to break up? It sounds like the emailer likes a few yeah. follow up. What's going on? Drunk text with some people. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds you know, like it sounds like class. you want to have your cake and eat it too, buddy. Yeah. It sounds like you want to be able to drunk text, but because you never actually had the chance to cheat, you didn't. So, hey, listen, if you're doing shady shit, that's on you, pal. I don't know that I've ever heard a woman. See what we did there? Look what we're doing. Ever go, yeah, he just, every now and then he just drunk texts his exes and asks what's up. It's funny. <laughs> it's usually around the holidays. It's yeah. no big deal. Uh, my thing with going through the phone is you're also going to see a bunch of shit that isn't your business. Right. Yeah. Right. You're going to see financial stuff. You're going to see, con you're going to see somebody like talking about somebody for, like, it's just a massive invasion of privacy. It is. And you have to go through all of those to find or not find what you're looking for. Maybe you could keyword search now in the new, the new phones. Maybe there's a keyword you could just type in like, you know, one of those words that would be reserved for, uh, you know, messing around. Yeah. Types in Krabs or Silo's phone. Agent commission. <laughs> um, all right. We're, we're really, we are absolutely i think i think the energy on this life advice has been bad because everything got fucking sorted wrong no it's really it comes down to the patriots losing on saturday i mean that's really i mean 10 a.m dealing with something like that i can't believe i even showed up today okay we have somebody's asking us for breakup advice what are our toughest breakups i've talked about mine like three times i don't uh, if not, I've mentioned it more than three. I mean, there's another one, but there's too many people that know each other in it. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about that one. Uh, yeah. And I'm a great breaker upper. I don't really have a hard one. You're in a good mood after it. Um, yeah, I think high school, maybe I was like, maybe I shed a tear once, but, uh, that was, dude, that if was you're like, a weirdo breaking up in high school, like, you know, just move on to the next one. Right. I'd say that yeah. there was one, but then I think, yeah, all the other ones, I'm like, what are we doing tonight, boys? Because it's usually my, it's usually, it was usually my, my thing, which, you know. In high school, there's going to be somebody else who likes you. Like, it's, it's really easy to yeah. move on. Same in college. Yeah. 
Yeah, college, it's free fall. Problem is, the stakes are all raised, though. Okay, all right, we'll try this one. Blind, <laughs> blind. How to right. get money, how to get things, <laughs> how to get back my things and money from an ex. Hey, guys, 27 years old, six foot 172, solid pickup basketball player, have a good run in the Palisades, so let me know if you want to join sometime. Too far away. I recently broke up with my girlfriend almost three years. The breakup was in the heat of the moment. was not unexpected as we had issues and we were fighting a lot. Since then, we have uh, no direct contact, but there are two related issues that I have. Okay. Um, issue one, after we broke up, she said I could not have any of my things back. Yeah, great. <laughs> what an asshole move from the <laughs> jump. <laughs> However, via contact with a roommate, I've gotten back my childhood Christmas ornaments and some items of clothing over the course of the week. <laughs> Uh, but she seems to have opted to hold on to items, including a Sono speaker, a nice air fryer, my favorite pair of jeans, and for some reason, a dress shirt. The only thing I had of hers was a pair of AirPods, and I sent her a new pair. A new pair? She all right, so you, her. all right, we'll keep reading here, <laughs> but who the fuck would keep somebody else's childhood Christmas ornaments? Issue number two, we plan to take a three and a half week vacation to Columbia, not the university, and had reserved a three week Airbnb and Medellin. She booked the Airbnb on her credit card and I Venmoed her my half, $655. She canceled the Airbnb and is not giving me my money back. Well, of course she didn't. If she keeping your ch- you could have gone in reverse order here. Once yeah. you see her, the Christmas ornaments, this person's like, did you sleep with her mom? So <laughs> anyway, we'll keep reading here. Um, nor did she give me any chance to buy her out before she canceled. After 10 days, I sent her a Venmo request for the $655 with the memo columbia airbnb refund or actual amount if not full refund which was declined uh this has been our only contact here are some other relevant details and answers to questions you may have oh yes we have (laughs) she's very well off financially and has much more money than i do so the 655 is not material to her we often share expenses and periodically sent venmo requests to square up she owed me 500 to a thousand at the time of the breakup which i'm writing off Yep. Yeah, there's nothing that tells Good you. The air fryer you. and speaker were clearly not gifts. They were at her place because that's where we spent more time. The Columbia trip was my idea, but we agreed to book it if she was all in on it. I'm still going to Columbia and my roommate is joining me. I never cheated on her, did anything of that sort. The same could not be said of her. All right, she's just she's a terrible fucking person. A terrible woman. Yep. Nice. So here are my questions. Should I feel entitled to the Airbnb refund or is it reasonable for her to keep the money since I broke up with her? What should I do, if anything, to get my stuff and money back? The total dollar amount will have a major, will not have a major impact on my life, but the idea of her getting to keep my things and money is frustrating. I do not want to get, uh, let her get away with this immature behavior. What do I do? Well, it sucks. I mean, you're dealing with a fucking lunatic, you know, that's justified. I mean, again, the child Christmas ornaments. Who would want to keep those? Like we have ornaments in my family. My sister every Christmas sends me a picture of these these ornaments that we have from the Muppets, 1979, 1980. And I remember like as a little kid, and I think there's also some Peanuts ones. Shout out Charles Schultz. Who named oh, you named him? Charles Schultz did. Um where like those are she sends me pictures of it because when we were kids it was always like a fun thing like which one would you get to hang right and they've survived 40 plus years and they would mean nothing to the next person so clearly like and as you're saying you didn't do anything and that she actually cheated on you i would look at it as what are we air fryer a couple hundred bucks jeans ornaments put it at 500 we're not going to do pawn What's that show? Not Pawn Stars. The one where they bid on the storage bins. Storage Wars, man. 
storage wars and there's yeah, like seven pens the guy's like this is 80 dollars worth of pens here yeah like who's yeah. doing your fucking three dollars a dvd pricing? really yeah it's still three dollars yeah. a dvd guy oh this this chest <laughs> is 500 bro that's cardboard right all right anyway so air fryer whatever it sounds like our man's out a couple grand that seems like a very low price to not be with this person anymore i don't know what you can do i really don't like we could you could get weird you get real fucking weird and harass her with Venmo requests all the time. You could reach out to the friends, but it is clear that however she has been raised, she is detached from reality and how you're supposed to treat other people. Okay. So I don't know that anything is going to get through to her. Is there some moral win that you could have where you're not getting any money back that makes you feel better? It seems like a pretty grounded person. So I don't know. Like writing out a bill fake lawyer letterhead again that might be fraud i don't even know but uh, so don't do that um is there a way to go about this like you can't sue her for this amount of money because you're just you're you want to sue her kyle uh no i'm just saying he said he's um plays basketball in the palisades that's this guy right you're in the town where all of the greatest court shows in the world are filmed that's all i'm saying this seems like a i would i would pick judge ross for this one boss ross but uh, I would also go hot bench next. Judy is only at a certain time of year, so I think you probably have to wait on on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a couple people that I would would think are 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 front runners in who should handle this. Um, I doubt she would accept, but um, I don't know. She probably would if she's so if like she, yeah. yeah. If she's so detached from reality. The only way is to go on a fake right. <laughs> courtroom to, to settle this. I got 140 new followers after that show. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Maybe. Hey, sometimes I look up the people after I'm like, hey, what is that person up to? Um, you will? You'll <laughs> yeah, look up I'll the see person. if I can find him on Instagram. Like, what, what is that guy doing? You DM him. You're like, oh, you got boss. <laughs> I, think it boss was, I think it was the horns you. that you had. Come, I think it was the, the horns that you put on your head that, that probably sunk you there, pal. Sorry. Um, there's some strange, strange folks on Ross. I just think, I mean, this is perfect that you guys live here. That's all I mean. Yeah. All right. Well. Because um, it's so else? ridiculous. Otherwise, you're otherwise you're a weirdo and you're stalking and and you're right. This person is so detached from reality. They're just gonna like they might even call the cops on you. And be like this guy's harassing. Yeah, me. that's what like, I mean. Sorry, it's like I'm just trying to get thousands of dollars back. Based on this, you're right. But the only recourse for you to basically be harassing her, and now you're just spending more time and energy. You know, your time is your money and all of these things, and it's a it's a number that sucks for you. The, the child ornaments thing, like, that's all I needed to hear. Like, there's no reasoning with this person. You know, is there one friend in her group that you can still talk to? It sounds like there is that you can just say, hey, look, can you help me with this? Can we figure out a way to get like, because I don't think the Airbnb money's ever coming back. You already know that she owes you 500 to a grand and you've already written that thing off. It sounds like you really like this air fryer. Um. And it feels a little bit more like this is all hoping to prove a point. I would say a lot like a breakup. Eventually, you just be like, oh, that sucks. Like, you know, breakups happen and people keep your shit. I have never wanted to keep anyone's stuff ever. I remember I dropped off a box once outside of an apartment. I hadn't talked to the person in like seven months. I was like, hey, your shit's outside. I don't want it in my house anymore. And that was, I think, the end of that communication ever. Um so yeah, yeah, man, I, you you caught a bad one here, but you're not going to marry her. So there's the win. That's worth more than a couple grand. 
Uh, yeah, by the way, Judge Mathis, too. You could submit your case at judgemathistv.com and you could probably just copy and paste what you sent us and just fill in your name Perfect. and birthday. That was great, Kyle. Yeah. Great. Strong, strong finish. Okay, I'm that's forward to see you guys. Yeah, <laughs> podcast. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thanks to Kyle, as always. Ryan Rosillo, Ringer Spotify. <laughs>